As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Latest edition of the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from the Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping this late Saturday night. It doesn't even feel like a Saturday, but it is New Year's Day. Uh, we had a bunch of football, some really compelling games. We're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about the blowouts of Friday night in the CFP as well as some other compelling games that turned out to be uh, stuff that we felt like really we all got kind of emotionally connected to. And Stu, before we get into the the semifinal games, since there were a little more than 24 hours ago, uh, we had the Rose Bowl not that long ago. We just had Baylor and Dave Aranda pull off a 12-win season by by beating Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, it was a pretty fun New Year's Day, just kind of like old times, right, where a lot of stuff happened. I had a feeling that New Year's Day was going to end up being more more entertaining than New Year's Eve, and that certainly ended up being the case. I know a lot of people like to crap on the Rose Bowl and wonder why we make such a big deal out of it in the, in you know California and in the Midwest, and some people hate the fact that it maybe has kept us from from playing the semis on New Year's Eve. I mean, on New Year's Day uh, every year. But I got to say, the game often delivers. When you think about just just in the last decade or so, the USC-Penn State one, uh, the Justin Herbert, uh, Oregon-Wisconsin one a couple years ago went right down to the wire, but this was really something. I mean, we saw a, we saw a receiver. Uh, we saw a receiver catch 16 passes for 347 yards. You, like... You know how people say, oh, those are PlayStation numbers. I don't even think you can do that on PlayStation. You could if you're really good and decided, hey, I want my favorite <laughs> player to go off. Um, yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I don't even want to say quietly because you had Garrett Wilson and you had Chris Olave and they weren't playing in this game. And then the number three receiver of the best receiving core in the country. I don't know if I want to say by far, but it sure seems like that because they just have studs waiting in the wings. And... 
the other thing, it's crazy to say this, but this is how I felt. Um, because you're right, his numbers were insane. But I just watching like CJ Stroud just drop one perfect pass yeah. into there or another. And it wasn't just to him, you know, it was Marvin Harrison Jr., it, you know, it was Julian Fleming. It was just like he was so sharp today. And you just saw like, man, you know, Ohio State has definitely been spoiled with great receivers dating back to, you know, Chris Carter and David Boston and Terry Glenn and, you know, I'm sure I'm leaving out like 10 others before we even get to this wave that you yeah. know, started this decade. But man, um, you know, an amazing performance. But there was Utah. We know their story. We just had on, um, we just had on, I think the last episode or two episodes ago, Britton Covey. And Britton Covey made us look good because he was like, I mean, he made the stadium shake. Yes, according he, to the people who were there with his kickoff return. He made the stadium. So, what is going through your mind when you see Britton Covey break out into the open at like the forty? Yeah, is it like, all right? This I was is- really happy for him. I'm not gonna lie. You know, we we got a, a great chance to connect with him and just what he means to that that program. That you know, the the they love him there. He's revered there, and and he got to have his moment. Because look, when the TV ratings come out, it's I. It's going to say that, I don't know, somewhere between 14, 15, 16 million, somewhere in that range, watched the Rose Bowl. And, you know, it's the moment of guys' lives. And and you're right. I mean, Ohio State won the game. They came back to win the game. Give them credit. I, I agree with you, C.J. Stroud. It was a big moment for him because during the season, you know, he ended up being a Heisman finalist. And, and I wasn't sure if he should be or not because it's how do you separate him from those three great receivers while well, you take two of them out of the game and and he's still doing that he's he uh he ends up 37 of 46 for 573 yards six touchdowns and one interception the interception coming in the end zone you know utah one disclaimer had to play a running back at cornerback because they were down so bad there and i'm sure that contributed to at least some of the numbers but let's give them credit um so yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a big moment for both those teams. Uh, Utah comes away with the loss, but it, I mean, there were by all accounts it was 70 percent Utah fans there, and they they made their fans proud. There was this crazy sequence late in the first half. Jackson Smith and Jigba catches a fifty yard touchdown. Then Britton Covey returns the touch has the kickoff return to make it twenty eight fourteen. Then Jackson comes back with a fifty two yard touchdown catch. And then on Utah's next position, Cam Rising, if you remember, he's running down the sideline. It seems like the play's over. Oh, nobody tackled him. 62-yard touchdown. So four touchdowns of 50-plus yards happened in the span of two game minutes and felt like about five minutes in real time. Uh, and then the game got decided on a last-second field goal. So that that game was unbelievable. Um Obviously, a lot more entertaining than the college football playoff semifinals. But those are the games that matter the most, and we should talk about them. And I, I hate to set it up this way, Bruce, but at what point in the Orange Bowl did you realize that maybe talking yourself into Michigan wasn't the best idea? Uh, I think once there was a ball Stetson Bennett threw that, was, that would have been one C.J. Stroud would have been proud of. It was a deep ball down the right sideline. It was a perfect pass. Might have been the best ball he's thrown this year or maybe ever. And given that moment, you know, I think it probably would qualify as such. I thought 
a couple of things happened. There were a couple of plays that that uh, Michigan tried to run. I mean, we've been talking about Nicobe Dean for a while, but it was like Nicobe Dean knew what plays they were running, and he was he was blowing them up he before did. they happened. And I think that was that man did some film prep. That I think that there was it was that. I also thought, you know, this was like a team. If you played UNLV in the UNLV heyday. And they were shooting 70% from three. Because, like, if Stetson Bennett's throwing like that and some of those other things, they are really going to be hard to beat because they have three running backs, and a couple of them are, like, basically, like, receivers also. And I think it was a matchup problem. You know, it's interesting. Like, before the year when Eric Gilbert was going to transfer there from LSU, and that was such a, you know, seemed like a – game changer talent and then obviously he didn't play this season but Bryce Bowers he comes from Northern California from your area and has been Brock, Brock Bowers. Bowers where did I see Bryce Bowers I think I'm thinking of He's from uh, Napa no I think I'm who's Bryce Bryce Butler I'm thinking I'm the old USC receiver is like Bobby Butler's yes. son. anyway all right so um Brock Bowers comes in and he turned out to be a just a real matchup nightmare he hit a couple of big plays early and I just thought all right will Michigan be able to settle down and and kind of push back and they couldn't it was just like the gap widened and honestly it felt similar to what we had three hours earlier where Cincinnati had one good drive to open the game and then they could do nothing and I think the part that was that was like you're watching that going you know Desmond Ritter if he can't rise, you know, like have an A game here, they have no shot, right? And there were a couple opportunities. And, you know, if you can, you know, like you said, if you talk yourself into thinking Michigan can beat them, if you talk yourself into thinking, like he needed to play like a top 10 pick for them to have Mm -hmm. any chance to win that game. And obviously it didn't go that way. Yeah, look, Cincinnati was in it longer with Alabama than, than Michigan was with Georgia. Uh, and even then, I think once Alabama separated it, to, it was 10-3 for a while. Once they got to 17-3 shortly before halftime, I didn't like the Bearcats' chances. The Michigan-Georgia game got out of hand almost immediately. And and I, I and I, what I want to say is, I mean, first of all, any notion that the Alabama that that Alabama and the SEC championship exposed Georgia, I don't I don't feel that way anymore. That, you know, and this will be relevant, obviously, toward the national championship game. But that seemed a lot more like a, a bad night at the office now after the way they're, in particular, the way they're deep. This was the defense that was so swarming and so dominant for 12 games that won't let you get in the end zone, which Michigan didn't do until almost the very end. Um, this was that defense. Nicobe Dean, uh, Quay Walker, all those guys just flying around the field. Um, you know, that's the Georgia we'd come to expect during the season. And so I don't. It doesn't to me. It doesn't like speak poorly of Michigan. I just think Georgia is that good, and Alabama. We were critical of at times during the season. Um, I think that may have been a case of uh, Georgia entered the season as more of a finished product. It's a more veteran team. Alabama lost a lot from the year before, but they seem to have gotten it together now. And in particular, I remember um, the LSU game in early November when they ran for six yards, and we were like, I just. I don't know what's wrong with them. They, the Alabama, you expect them to be able to run the ball, and they can't run the ball. Well, 
Brian Robinson went for 200 against Cincinnati. So um, I know I know America is frustrated. They don't want to watch a rematch of the Georgia-Alabama game, especially since the first one wasn't particularly close. But what's interesting is, despite the fact Alabama pretty much blew them off the field last time, Georgia is a two-and-a-half-point favorite for the second go-around. I think, and I could be a little off on this, but I think... You know, America collectively, I think they're more frustrated by the semifinal matchup stinking than they are. Like, I'm looking forward to the national title game. I'd be looking forward to it no matter what. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you have two heavyweight teams. I mean, the looking back, I think Michigan, with how they are in terms of they're so run heavy, and, you know, the reality is their quarterback is nowhere near Bryce Young's level. And I think that's a problem for them. There was no go-to receiver. And I just think that they were, that's a bad matchup for them. I really think it is. Um, I'm not saying that, that Alabama is going to light up Georgia again. But I think this is a really interesting, you know, I think this is an interesting national title game. Again, you have the whole thing about Kirby Smart's never beaten his mentor. Um, this wasn't a particularly close game the last time they played. And so I think this is pretty compelling. I know a lot of people aren't going to love, you know, there's less buildup now also because there's less time. It's not like it's a month of this. There's, there's basically 10 days. And quite honestly, um, you know, I don't think people, I don't think people after this weekend, I think they'll put down college football for a week and they'll pick it back up, you know, right. on Monday morning, a week from a week from this Monday, because they'll get into NFL and they'll get into whatever else they're into. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm very intrigued by the matchup. I will definitely say that. Yeah. I mean, I'm very intrigued because I like watching good college football and these are two really good college football teams. They're the two best teams in the country. I don't think there's any disputing it, but I think you're underestimating the public at large, how much they hate rematches, but specifically how much they hate sec rematches. And when you think about, this is now the third time since 2011 that we've had an all sec national championship game. The first time LSU Alabama, at least the first time they played, it was an overtime game. But that was a that was a one, that game had you and I were both at that game. That game had no ugly, touchdowns. Ugly yeah, that was an ugly game. And then the oh, believe me, I, I remember how much, people hated that rematch so much that they practically changed the BCS the next well, morning. Yeah, what I remembered about now when that, Alabama and Georgia played in 2017, it was a classic. It was the two a second and 26 but they hadn't actually played each other during the season. So it wasn't, it wasn't a rematch. rematch. It wasn't a rematch. Like well, the only thing I remember was. You know, LSU's offense was dreadful that night. I feel like I remember T-Bob went off in the post-game press conference. Um, that was the beginning of the, you know, I would say it was the beginning of the end for Les, but he still lasted another five years. But that was the night everybody there turned on him. Yeah. Um, look, so we have, we can probably talk more about the actual matchup in the next episode. Sure. Yes. Um, you know, I think... There were a lot of comments. So I wrote my final thoughts after the semifinal games. There were like 350 comments by the time I looked on it. You know, a common theme in there was people expressing some ver- variation of frustration that there isn't more parity and frustration at me or you or us in the media for not trying to do something about it, to just be content with the way things What are, are. we supposed to do about well, it? Yeah, that's what I said. I don't know. There's not going to be a, a... I think... People, some people want college to do to have some sort of 
Like the NFL draft, has a salary like has cap a draft, and, a draft. Yeah. and they want there to be something. Well, then you should keeps... like, and then you should like NIL, and you should tell all your schools boosters if you're not at one of these SEC programs, do what. Look, I had this story that I had the one coach talk about what he was hoping his boosters would do. Stop complaining. Now you can pony up, and now you can right. get in the game. You can can just contribute it to yourself. I mean. I don't know. It's that simple. I mean, no, it's not that simple. So, but. so we've now had sixteen semifinals in the college football playoff, and only th- three of them have been decided by fewer than seventeen points. It's nuts. Uh, you would think, in theory. But. Uh, so one of the things I thought I do want to interject for a second. One of the things when you said three hundred fifty comments that I thought you were going to say, which I don't think there's a good answer to this, is. Those two teams didn't deserve to be there because the truth is you couldn't have had, you know, if, if you, you mean Michigan and Cincinnati, yeah, if you didn't have them, it's like, I Notre, actually didn't see a lot of that okay. because Notre Dame was number Notre five. Notre Dame was number five. It was like and, this, this buffer. Yeah. And uh, then you like, couldn't have had, Ohio, and that. you can't have Ohio state because they lost to Michigan. Yeah. There were, now there were some people on Twitter who were saying, oh, you know, if Ohio State were playing in this game, they, they would weren't, be down. they didn't have a chance. If Ohio state, they never had Ohio state would have been a better matchup. Because you can see how dangerous their passing game is. I don't think their defense would have held up. Their defense probably would have held up worse than Michigan's did. At the end of the day, Ohio State lost to two of the three best teams they played. You know, there was never a chance they were going to be picked for a 14 playoff. Now, you could say if it were a 12 team playoff, uh, maybe both Ohio State and Utah find their way into the Final Four. Or Baylor, you know, somebody who didn't have a shot in this system. But, look, at the end of the day, you can expand the playoff, you can tinker with the format all you want. Like, that doesn't solve the parity thing at all. That's just the state of the sport right now. And, and you know, people don't like me saying this, but this, the, there is a consolidation of power in the Southeast, in the SEC in particular, but also Clemson. Florida State has won a national title there. We now know, we already know a team from the Southeast is going to win the title again this year. That'll be 15 times in 16 years that either an SEC team, Clemson, or Florida State won the national so title. So the only aberration this. was the Urban Meyer, Ezekiel Elliott run of Ohio State. Now look, in truth... And, you, and Urban Meyer, by the way, began this run for the SEC when Florida uh, beat Ohio State. That's when this this 16-year period began. But if you think about it, those teams, and I would include where Ryan Day still has the team, they have enough firepower yes. to play with these, you know, with these teams. I mean, now look, they stubbed their toe against Iowa. They stubbed their toe against Purdue. Um, you know, those are games where they get whipped. But... Like, they have enough talent. You know, like, they've recruited better. You know, this is our colleague Ari Wasserman's, like, kind of a little bit of, like, a, um, like, a, like, like, you know, alarm clock with it. But, like, they actually recruited better on the star system than those, than that Clemson national title team did. Like, that wasn't a top yes. five. That was, like, a fringe top ten, you know, outfit. But, you know, Ohio State, they have recruited on that level. It'll be interesting to see. If Jimbo Fisher can take Texas a because right now they are like lingering at eight and four. It's not like they're playing right. at a level of, but now this was supposed, this seems like a breakthrough class, although he had some other great classes before. Can they do that? I mean, you know, look, honestly, USC, they didn't look like it, but if you look at some of their classes, 
they had recruited extremely well, but they just didn't live up to it. Just like towards the end, Jimbo's classes didn't come up close to anywhere. It's not just recruiting, although it's certainly the number one factor. Georgia and Alabama, I believe, were the number going into the season were the number one and two teams in the 24-7 talent, talent composite, which you know is a compilation of all their recruits on their roster, and now they're playing in the national championship game. So clearly you can draw a pretty direct line there. But like you said, I mean, there's a lot of programs out there, USC, Texas in particular, right, who sign these top five, top ten classes every year and are nowhere near the picture. So it's you got to get the talent. Yes, that's step, step one. But, you know, the reason Alabama is able to do this year after year after year is is what they do with them once they get on campus, right? They have the infrastructure. They have the the money. They have, I mean, they, they, they have Bill O'Brien calling plays and they have Doug Marone coaching the offensive line. I mean, it's just, when, I, when you say there's no way to, to create parity, and what are you going to do, tell Alabama, no, you can't hire those guys. Let, let somebody else get them. Um, no, you can't enough you've signed enough five stars for this class let let somebody else get some um there's just a few programs that are what i would consider to be a machine alabama is clearly the the, the yeah it's the not model. even it's not even close it's, yeah, it's not they're, even close at this point it's alabama I mean, the, and then and the number one reason so many of those semifinals have been blowouts is because alabama's played in so many of them you know they're they're the one doling out the blowouts for for you know more than anybody else but georgia is almost there. They haven't won, you know, won the whole thing yet, but I mean, they've, this is their second national title game under Kirby Smart. They have played in a New Year's Six Bowl, I think, every year since the, the last trip. So um, Ohio State qualifies as one of those programs. Clemson qualifies as one of those programs. Um, but there is a drop-off from those to Michigan, Notre Dame, um, a, a number of other programs who are good and 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 can get have a good year and get Oklahoma have a good year and get into the playoff and then they get in the playoff and you see that there's still a gap. So, I mean, frankly, I would say the gap from Georgia and uh, Alabama to like the next two or so or more is a lot wider than the gap from you know number three to number eight or something you know somewhere in that range. I think there's still a big gap between. I know what the recruiting system's ranked number is makes it closer. Alabama and Georgia. And I'm not saying Alabama is going to blow out Georgia again, but I think there is a big gap to me between in terms of what Alabama has done and has compared to where Georgia is. Now Georgia can win a oh, national sure. title that way, but I still well, that's because Alabama's been standing in Georgia's way, and uh, this will be the you know, and, and another reason why I think. Uh, people might not be loving this national championship matchup. This will, this is the third time they've played in about 13, 14 months, right? Because they played during the regular season. The the regular season that was shifted later last season. So I don't remember when that game was exactly. Uh, maybe October or November. Um, so if I ask you, you quickly, know, yeah. um, which do you think people have less of an appetite for? Georgia, Alabama or Alabama Clemson? That's a great question, and I don't know the answer. I do remember that when Alabama and Clemson played for the national title out here in Santa Clara, I think that at that point they had met four times in a row. And yet I was like really excited for that game because it was Tua against Trevor Lawrence, and they were both uh, 14-0. and 0. 
I just remember like this is a dream matchup and yet and now Clemson ended up blowing them out but on paper it was a great matchup and people are like I'm sick I don't care I don't want to see them again I'm done I'm done with it um can I make a th- can I make a- yeah I, what do you think? I think, I don't feel this way necessarily, but I think people would rather have or, or more have the appetite for Georgia, Alabama than Clemson, Alabama. I feel like there's a lot of people who are kind of over Dabo. And yeah, that's true. like, I saw something that I, I didn't see it happen live today, but like I saw our colleague Seth Emerson posted it on, on his Twitter feed. And it was a... Um, it was a almost like a cell phone video that Kirby Smart had to do when he was being interviewed on game day. It was right out, you know, it was like the morning after his game. I think he shot it from a very unflattering angle from like underneath his neck. You know, it was a very unflattering image of him. But you know what? I got to say, like, I found it kind of endearing to him because it's like, hey, you know what? I'm a football coach. I don't care if this is like the most glamour shot of me this is it i'm gonna i'm gonna talk to you and i'm gonna do this and it was just like hey whatever you know and i'm not saying that like because i don't i don't feel like people have much of an impression about kirby smart unless you're a georgia or a diehard sec fan one way or the other about him but um i don't know where i'm going with that i just feel like people do not have i feel like they're just kind of for the most part indifferent with him that's the thing you're saying people like i bet more people would watch if it was Clemson, Alabama, because they hate Dabo and they want to root against Dabo. I think I don't think people much of the country has feelings one way or the other about Georgia. You know, Kirby hasn't really developed much of a persona yet. And the interesting thing about this Georgia team is they're really good, but they don't have, you know, like when ESPN puts up the little lower third with like one guy from each team, they're clearly going to put up uh, Bryce Young from Alabama. Who are they going to put up from Georgia? They don't have like a, this is the superstar of the team. They have a lot of great players. Yeah. By the but, way, the head, yeah. you know, the, the guy who, who a lot of people would assume is the headliner of the defense, which is Jordan Davis, the biggest guy. He's mm-hmm. actually one of the few guys who is not a big recruit. He was a three-star guy. You know, it's like. And, they actually have quite a few. I mean, Brock Bowers was not a big time recruit at all. Well, he was a pretty big recruit to, though. I think he was a three-star. No, he was a four-star. He's like the number three rated tight end in the country. I mean, he may have blown right. up. Yeah. Um, well, you know who wasn't a big recruit, obviously? Stetson Bennett was a two-star coming out of high right. school. Right. You got a former walk-on quarterback, you know, that could lead them to the national championship. I don't know. The moment I thought, okay, yeah, I think Georgia can, could pull this off was when Kirby refused to take the Gatorade bath. <laughs> he was like, uh-uh, we're not celebrating winning a semifinal. Wait, wait and see if we win the championship. I would be fascinated to see... He he does show so little emotion usually. I'd be I'd be fascinated to see what what he what it is like if he wins because as we know Georgia has not won the national championship since 1980. So I mean just from an interest standpoint, it would be a lot more interesting for college football if Georgia won and you had some new blood holding up the trophy. Whereas oh Alabama beat them again. <laughs> they, Nick Saban won the national championship again. Um, but hey, I don't know. It's a uh, Certainly, it's hard to have that much faith in Georgia after what how the first game went. But like I said, Vegas does not seem deterred. They they see a Georgia team that has been dominant in every game but one this season, whereas Alabama has uh, you know stubbed their toe at times. Uh, and it's kind of like okay, which which version of which team are we going to see? 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a, another story we need to talk about that uh, kind of went viral uh, on New Year's Day. Um, a certain TV, college football TV analyst, uh, was hosting a segment before the Rose Bowl. They were talking about players opting out of bowls. And he said, to the shock of many of us, that, well, these players say they just don't love football. Is this, are we talking about my colleague Brady Quinn, first of all? Let's clear this up. No. I mean, it was Kirk Herbstreet. I don't want to nestle. I'm trying to avoid throwing him under the bus too much, but... He did make that comment, and look, he's not your typical football, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about college football for a living, but he's definitely the most high profile, the most visible. I mean, the guy called the Orange Bowl, I'm getting my days of the week mixed up, Friday night, and got on a plane, flew overnight to be on this set of this show, um, and then called the Rose Bowl. He's everywhere. Um, he tried to backtrack a little bit on Twitter later, but but still kind of inferred that a lot of guys playing today don't love football, you know, as opposed to it was Desmond Howard who was on it with him, and they were kind of, you know, they both played in the Rose Bowl in the early 90s when it was still the pinnacle, and I think they consider it kind of sacrilegious that those Ohio State players would choose not to play in it. Um, but yeah, I, I took exception to it, and then it really kind of blew up in his face uh, during the Sugar Bowl when Matt Corral got injured. And look, I, great for Matt Corral that he decided to play in the game. You're never going to hear me criticize a guy for playing in a bowl game in the, instead of opting out. Uh, and knock on wood, it turns out not to be that major an injury. Lane Kiffin said the x-rays are negative. But man, it was really hard to see this guy, you know, decide to play this game, didn't have to, could have... Uh, you know, tried to preserve the injury risk for a possible first round draft pick on crutches during the game. So, um, you know, I think I'm a little surprised that this is still a debate. I know it's from an entertainment standpoint, obviously it stinks not to you, know, you turn on the pitch ball the other night and there's no and Kenny Pickett's like up on the press box on a, on a headset. I don't think Kenneth Walker was there. Um, sure. You'd obviously rather from an entertainment standpoint, be watching those guys play but um i don't think they're opting out because they don't love football they're opting out because there are millions of dollars on the line and either they don't want to take that risk or they and i know this happens the agents you know they're, they're they have agents lined up unofficially long before they turn pro and the agents are telling them don't don't do that you know don't risk it um we'll get you started on on training for the combine sooner, um, you know, so it's a business. End of the day, it's a business. And I think some people just have a hard time accepting that. They want to hold on to this 
whatever er previous era where you played for the love strictly for the love of the game and your school and your teammates and there was no business element to it but all you got to do is is watch these broadcasts and all these you know there there's there's so much money tied up in these games it is a business i thought there's a couple of things going on here so first of all let's walk backwards on it so the matt corral part you know seeing it and seeing him carted off into the locker room before he's getting x-rayed you know i don't disagree with anybody like you said i mean it's like it's great that he wanted to play and the passion mm -hmm. he had for it and that's that's great i think where i think where a lot of people and myself included and i look i like kirk i'm friendly with him i think he's i think he does an excellent job i mean he's basically the conscience of college football and i think sometimes you know segments can get long and people can go go into directions where i'm not sure you know, I'm not saying it would... It's live TV. Sometimes something just slips out, not the way you intended. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's the case or not the case, in, you know, here. But what I do think is, you know, like in the context of, okay, he doesn't love football. I'm not sure you can say whether it's who it was directly related to, whether it's players opting out at Ohio State, whether it's players opting out of some other bowl. I, my point on this is like it's not like this is anything new there are plenty of players who didn't like college football who were probably really really good at it and also really really good in the nfl um who may not have loved it as much as some other guys did i think there there's that element of it i remember this is and i mentioned this to max olsen um earlier in the day i remember being at a bowl game which was like um this was about 20 years ago and it was a loaded top 10 team with a bunch of NFL guys, and they got blown out by another team. And I just remember hearing from one of the coaches, it was like, yeah, this, like, there were guys who basically kind of were opt, were checked out. They may not have opted out because people weren't doing it at that point, but they basically were making business decisions and really were not into the game. And it showed up. Um, and I don't know if there's that much of a difference because, like, back then you'd hear, well, if you're really not that into it, you know, you're going to be at a physical injury risk at that point if, you, if you're half-assing it out there or you half-assed it in your preparation and that kind of thing. So there's, I think there's that part of it. But also, I think in the context of this, which probably rubs some people the wrong way, and this definitely was something I thought about, was that if it's not a playoff game, people don't value these bowl games. They don't just, like, mean what they used to. Well, part of the issue, I think, is... You know, and again, full disclosure, people know this. I work at Fox, which is a competitor to ESPN. Um, but ESPN has the biggest biggest microphone uh, when it comes to college football, and they run the playoff. And when you talk about, well, I forget what the, the, the slogan is, you know. Who's in. Who's in. If you're not in, it's essentially like the and I'm not saying they basically say this, but it's like, if you're not in, you don't matter. But everything is so slanted yeah. towards the playoff where we talked about having the playoff expanded because a lot of those games in November, that, that they just don't matter so much. And I think that all factors into this. How you know Everything is connected on social media. And how does that discourse not kind of become part of it right so i don't begrudge anybody who's like you know like people can say oh you can get hurt in a practice you can get of course you can but i think when you're talking about like 
the difference between we would be I think we'd be surprised if a player opted out of a playoff game but at the same point you know Brian Kelly basically opted out of a chance to you know be on, coach a playoff team at that point right I mean so this isn't just the players plenty of people have pointed out examples and I think our colleague Ari Wasserman who did a column kind of off this pointed out there have been coaches who, who just kind of like hey I'm not coaching the bowl game I'm out of here I'm going I'm going someplace else already I, I think Kirk's in a difficult position because and you alluded to it I, I don't consider the bowl games meaningless I don't think most of the players on the teams consider them meaningless but there is this perception out there that they've because of the playoff, they become meaningless. If that is the case, they become not. They might not be meaningless. They have definitely been meaningful. devalued. Devalued. I'm not saying the athletic doesn't play some part in that. We obviously covered the the college football playoff, but nobody does more to to emphasize the notion that those three games mean way more than the others than ESPN, and and understandably so. They pay. I had to look this up to refresh my memory. $470 million a year to show those three games. Um, they, you know, their whole, uh, there's a reason those games are on ESPN and not ABC. It's so that you'll have to keep signing up for cable or so your your cable provider or YouTube TV or whoever will keep carrying ESPN because they have these three massive games on it. And it's not, and it doesn't start in, it's year round or, or it's season round. And, you know, I can remember um, watching like a, I can't remember if it was a group of five game. I was watching a game late in the season that had, where the two teams were not remotely in the playoff picture, and the announcers just kept talking about the playoff race. Well, what do you think's going? Do you think Notre Dame could do that? Do you think Cincinnati? And I remember thinking, like, this has got to be so infuriating to the fans of the teams that are in this game. They're not talking about their teams; they're talking about the playoff race. And then, and Sam Kahn, our colleague, pointed this out on Twitter earlier today. If you've watched some of the early bowl games, if you watched some of those group of five bowl games, if you watched, I don't know, the Cheez-It Bowl, at halftime of every one of these bowl games, they would do a segment having something to do with the playoff games. So all that's a long way of saying, you know, I don't think the players, the players themselves watch ESPN and they're getting the message that the bowl game they're going to doesn't matter as much as Alabama, Cincinnati, and Michigan, Georgia. That's a lot of stuff we've kind of like tied into a box and and, and stuck in the cake yeah. there. Well, you know, it's I joke about it, but um, every time this time of year, every year, it's like um, everybody wants to solve college football's postseason. It's it's our the season itself is so great, and then it gets to the postseason, everybody feels let down. They want to fix it. We got to expand it. We got to do. We got to create more parity. We got to do something. Um, Expanding the playoff at this point to me, what it means for me, it's not about determining the national champion. There has not been a year where the best team in the country wasn't among those four. Um, and that's certainly true this year. It is about, you know, that that the Fiesta Bowl, the Notre Dame-Oklahoma State Fiesta Bowl was a great game. It went right down to the wire. And it just felt like an undercard, right? Like it was, it was kind of wedged between the playoff games and the Rose Bowl. Now, in this new system that they're proposing that maybe that's a playoff quarterfinal game with, with, you know, nobody's opting out of that. You would hope and feeds into, you know, those two teams are, are still playing for the national championship. That's what it's about. It's about adding some excitement to the postseason in the early rounds and the other bowl games, even if 
it ends in the same exact result. Uh, you know what made me happy about the about the bowl season? There are randoms where it was like the Cheez-It Bowl from a couple of years ago, or in this case, the Music City Bowl. Like if you had told me a month ago or whenever it is that Selection Sunday happens, that Tennessee-Purdue would be must-see TV for about two hours, I'd be like, I'll watch it. I'm not seeing that. Especially without like Tennessee. Without, I thought Tennessee was going to blow them out. Especially without, I'm sorry, without the without Purdue, too. without David Bell or George Karloftis. And in fact, like our uh, Joe Rexford, our colleague, I think it was him or maybe it was Oven. Somebody was like, yeah, this is not going to last. It's like Tennessee is just... You know, Hendon Hooker is just going to light them up, you know, and it looked like it was going to happen. And then, like, credit to Jeff Brom, because when he goes into his bag of tricks and gets rolling, it's like, you know, he's got Ryan Thompson's son, Brock, who looks like he's falling apart on every play that he <laughs> catches it and they can't get him off the field. Um, you know, it was just like, it was, to me, that kind of sums up the bowl season, that was the non-New Year's Six Bowl of the Year so far. Yeah, it was just like great drama. I know if I was a Tennessee fan, I'd be miserable because of like, was his forward progress really stopped, but the whistle didn't get blown. You know, it was like, um, but just as a as a fan with no, you know, with no dog in the fight, I was like, man, this was a lot of fun, you know? And that's the thing that I think, you know, look, Danny Connell, my former colleague, um, had I think he tweeted something, you know, along this, and we see this from random people a lot, where it's be like, yeah, there are too many bowls, or why are there so many bowls? And then you'll get one of these games, and there will, there could be a six and six against a six and six. I mean, that wasn't, you know, Purdue and Tennessee were not six and six teams. Purdue was eight and four, but where you get some of these matchups, and it turns out to be, you know, just a really fun game, and. I think that's one of the things that I love most about the bowl season is just like, you know, it's like you get really invested in it when you didn't see it coming. And, you know, invariably, like I'll take that for the other, you know, whatever, how many bowls are 82 now or whatever. I'll take, um, you know, I'll take the chances on that because, I mean, you know, like I always said, we're going to lose the sport in a couple of weeks. And those matchups, um, whether they're players or teams are shorthanded or not, um, it just gets to be a lot of fun to watch those teams kind of like in the players. Maybe it's the last game and a lot of these guys will ever play. Clemson, I enjoyed Clemson, Iowa State, cheese it ball a lot. And, uh, you know, here's Clemson. If anybody ha- would have a reason to be disinterested in, in the cheese it bowl, it would be Clemson. It was just played in six, five, six straight playoffs, right? And when and it was it was just a, a crushing way to end it for for Brock Purdy, the Iowa State quarterback. He had, you know, he's trying to keep them alive. They're down seven. He gains the first down and then he fumbles backward so that they didn't get the first down. Uh, Dabo and Clemson celebrated that exactly the way they would have celebrated winning the national championship. They, you know, it was fun to, fun to see and yeah, so. I just wish the too many bowls crowd and the uh, got to expand the playoff crowd, although I'm among that crowd, and the we need more pair would all just kind of sit back and then just like you said, like there's soon there's not going to be any college football for eight months. Just sit. It, it's meant to be fun. Bowl season is fun. We just sit back and have fun watching the games and maybe not um, be so up in arms about all of it. 
Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Stu. We haven't. We don't always do these. We try to, but uh, we haven't done it in a long time. We haven't actually. done it in a long time. This is not the mailbag. This is actually our shoutouts. Why don't you go first? Yes. So um, you know, we mentioned a bunch of these New York Six Bowls in passing, but uh, Oklahoma State. Down 28-7 at one point, comes back to beat Notre Dame. Shout out to Mike Gundy, who they'd had a couple mediocre seasons and people had kind of forgotten about them. Well, Oklahoma State rises up this year, reaches the Big 12 championship game, loses in heartbreaking fashion, but then comes out and beats Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. And and Mike Gundy afterwards has the biggest win in school history. And he would know because he's been a player or coach there uh, for several decades. Um, That's a big win for them. Uh, you know, uh, tough loss for Marcus Freeman in his first game as the Notre Dame head coach. Uh, and that's going to be the, the more dominant storyline because it's Notre Dame. But, yeah, that's a really big deal for Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, they got to 12 wins. Uh, they hadn't done that since 2011. So congratulations to them. My shout-out is also Big 12-related. It is for the Big 12 champion, Baylor Bears, Dave Aranda, last year, first season there, really struggles, goes, only wins two games, reshuffles his offensive staff, brings in Jeff Grimes from BYU, and it works well. And they're really good on defense. Ron Roberts, his mentor, runs the show, and I think Dave has done a remarkable job. 12 wins, the best season in Baylor history, 
Um, and this came up a bunch in the broadcast tonight with our friend Joe Tess, where they were talking about, obviously people know about when Art Bryles was there and they had a lot of success on the field. Uh, and then Matt Rule came in and really cleaned the place up after the, the program and the university. You know, every they cleaned house. Matt Rule came in, did a remarkable job, left for the NFL, but a lot of his players were still there. And, you know, it was interesting to hear Dave get interviewed after the game because, as you and I both know, he is extremely thoughtful and and. You know, he doesn't do sound bites. He doesn't do sound bites. You could see there was a little, some emotion going there. He was thinking about it. He kept on talking about how selfless this team was. It was also kind of tough, I think, because of the way the broadcast worked. You usually don't interview somebody twice within a span of like five minutes, but that's how it worked out where they interviewed him after the game and then they interviewed him like five minutes later on the stage as he was up in the trophy. Um, but, man, if you're a Baylor fan right now, you ought to feel pretty good. You just want a basketball national title. And your football program just had the greatest season in school history. Um, you know, it's it's pretty remarkable. They got a good thing there with with uh, with Dave Aranda right now. A lot of people were interested in him this year, and he, you know, I think they're doing a new deal for him. And I mean, it couldn't get much better. I think it's a pretty good time to be a Big Twelve football fan. Period, because they uh, you got Cincinnati way, coming in. About, yeah, you talk about and great Houston. bowl moments. How about um, Bob Stoops? getting to hug his son Drake Stoops on the sideline after he caught a touchdown in the Alamo Bowl. But So Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma all beat uh, top 15 teams, I believe. All teams that all won 10 or 11 games. uh, Never mind that, Stoops. Never mind mind Bob hugging Drake. How about Dana Holgerson, who's coming into the conference, bringing in the naked statue and letting him in the bulkhead? I mean, that's pretty pretty (laughs) sweet. Dana had a nice bowl win for sure. You know, uh, as did future Big 12 member UCF. And Cincinnati didn't win its bowl game, but it had just a, you know, it's now two straight remarkable seasons. And by the time they get to the Big 12, just has completely changed their, um, you know, the perception of that program. So uh, it's still going to hurt to lose Oklahoma and Texas, but, you know, you're feeling better than you were this summer, uh, to say the least. Can I do one more bowl shout out? Just a second. I'm trying to find all the way back to see if BYU won its bowl, but it felt like it was two it months did ago. did not. It got knocked off by UAB in the Independence Bowl, which feels about like three months it ago. It does. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, my shout-outs to Wondell Robinson, the Kentucky receiver who went against that great Iowa pass defense. Ten catches, 170 yards, including the 52-yard catch that set up the winning touchdown in their comeback win over the Hawkeyes. That's 10 wins for the second time in four seasons for Mark Stoops. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's a hell of a run he's got there. Um, you know, if, if you're Kentucky and you got to keep him, your defensive coordinator, Brad White, who a lot of people tried to hire away, your offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, who I think a lot of people would try to hire away, that's pretty good if you keep all three of those in place. And you get your quarterback coming back, Will Levis. Now you just need to get Georgia... <laughs> like you need the conference to realign. You get Georgia, Georgia to, ends up in a to realign to the NFC South. Yeah. Well, you know, they're talking about doing pods when it gets to 16 teams. Maybe maybe they'll be in a different pod. But still, I mean, they're loving life there right now, Kentucky football. Uh, they've got a better program than Florida. they got a better program than Tennessee. That was not the case for several decades before that. Um, yeah, so like you said, we've, we've got – 
we'll have another episode before the national title game, certainly, to talk more Georgia, Alabama, and uh, and finally catch up on your emails. Send them to the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you.